everybody, it's Tracy Malone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am here with a very special guest today, and I brought Emily Flowers in because she is a, I'm going to get the letter, CDLP, which is a mortgage professional for divorce. Like, they specialize in divorce mortgages because it's a different world for you. And so when we talk with Emily, we're going to, to talk about all the things that you'll need to know. Most people are like, hey, the house is the most important thing. I want it. Can I get the house? Well, how do you know if you can qualify and, and how can you creatively qualify? Because a lot of times it's it's not about what's on paper. It's about your income. And it's not about the lump sum that you're going to get. It's about what do we do with it? And is that the best thing to do it? Should you do it here? Do you have to create income? There's so many factors that go into qualifying for a mortgage when you're going through a divorce or just after your divorce. So let's go meet Emily and hear what she's got to say and see if, if any of it makes sense to you. Any of it eases your fears. There's a, a lot of vague in here because you're not going to, your situation, you can't just be like, in every situation, this will work. It's based on your your money, your equity, your this, your that, your income, all kinds of factors. But let's go talk to Emily and see if you can get some of the demystification that you need about how to finance a home, even the home that you've already been in, after you're going through a divorce. So let's go meet her right now and get started. Welcome, Emily. I am so excited that you are here. We have been talking about mortgages and you are a divorce professional CDLP, um, which is a mortgage broker for people that are going through divorce. Before we start, can you tell people what that means and what the difference between you and Joe Mortgage Broker is? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Emily. Um, I'm a CDLP, so I'm a certified divorce lending professional. What does that mean? Um, I do divorce mortgage planning. What does that mean? <laughs> so I basically take all of your information and all of the things that you want to do within, you know, the divorce realm, like, do you want to keep the house or do you want to buy a new one and all of that? And I take all of the factors that go with that. And I put it together so that it follows mortgage guidelines so that when you complete your um, divorce settlement agreement, you can actually execute it. Like you're qualified to actually move forward. So it really is a great planning tool and it should not be done at the end at, with your banker who doesn't know very specific mortgage guidelines due to the incident of divorce. There's lots of fun little ways for us to structure things for clients that are in the in the midst and post-divorce and 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 pre-divorce actually as well. So yeah. And thank you. That that's an, an excellent like understanding of the differences between what someone like yourself does but the rea but the reality is uh, you know the home is usually during a divorce it's it's the big one it's the big cheese right it is you know i want the house well do you have any income do you qualify that's where you come in right because yeah. some people that might be entitled to some money so a payout from their spouse even though they don't have income, you're working with all of these different factors because a normal 
mortgage application is what's your income what's your debt yes you qualify well when you don't have any income or you're getting settlement money from that that's where the true you know genius is where you're going Absolutely. to find it and find a way so tell me how that process works well we we you know if you're getting lump sum monies from stock options or pension or um you know equity in the home or whatever it is um and you have no other income we need to structure some income we need to find a way because if even if you have a big big settlement right you're 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 not going to qualify for a mortgage because there's no income so we have to create it and there's plenty of ways to do that that are very beneficial we bring in you know financial advisors and cdfas to help structure things that are healthy for the client because the first thing the client wants to do is say okay i have this big lump sum of money i have you know five hundred thousand dollars or whatever and i'm gonna put it down on a house and i'm like whoa why <laughs> um and they're like, because I want my mortgage payment to be very small and blah, 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 blah. And then I start kind of talking through why you wouldn't put that money into maybe a dormant asset and why you might want to figure out how to keep that money liquid in case something else in your life happens. You've got a lot of changes happening. Cash flow is an, the craziest, scariest thing during a divorce. So, mm -hmm let let's structure this to be the most cash flow friendly that we can the most tax friendly that we can the most you know whatever friendly that we can so that you're in a healthy position and we're kind of taking baby steps instead of these big drastic decisions and so that's and we do that with numbers and facts and and showing people hey you're only going to have this much left over at the end of the month Maybe we should structure this a little differently. Maybe we should negotiate something. Maybe we should go on and so forth. Maybe this isn't the house that it makes the most sense for you. So on and so forth. So that those are the things that we do. And it's really just us looking out for their best financial interest. You know, mortgage is a tool. It's not, you know, a big chain around somebody's neck. It's a tool. Yeah. I love what you were saying about, again, I have so many clients that come and they're going to get that, well, we'll use the fake $500,000 number. And they're like, so I'm going to buy a house and plop it all down. But we keep houses generally for a pretty long time. And that means you're not turning it over. And while the house may increase in value, it doesn't necessarily mean if you needed a new roof, you could pull it out and take it away from, you don't have savings because you put it all into the house. So it leaves you cash poor, it sounds like. It can, you you know, it just, a, again, it's a case by case basis, to be honest. And putting money, big lump sums into a mortgage is more like forced savings. Mm -hmm. And it could be liquid if you're cashing out, but you got to be careful with cash out because you're not cashing out 100%. You know, it's it's limited and it's not that easy and you could be putting yourself in a in a worse position than you were previously by cashing out so what else can we do can we talk to a financial advisor about what that money can do for you and put and put down a different amount so that there's a happy medium between 
what you can generate and what can come in for you, maybe maybe income generated or liquid or whatever, and, and what is going out in the form of a mortgage. Um, and other bills. Do we need to consolidate? Do we, you know, we need to look at everything together. And the best way to do that is at the very beginning, not after. After it's too late. They've written it. Who knows what they've written? You know, you got to do it ahead of time so that everybody um, has an understanding of the choices that they're making and that it's plain English, black and white, like these are your options and this is what they look like when it comes to numbers, not emotion. Yeah. Imagine that. I'm the emotions girl. You're the <laughs> yes. Is the lawyer, the law and the statues and the, the, the clauses that have to go into a decree, right? So yeah. What are the biggest mistakes that you see that lawyers are telling their clients? Oh, sure, you can keep the house and, you know, are, they're not the money people. So what are the biggest mistakes that you see in the, the legal field kind of coming out of their sandbox and, and advising clients on mortgages that they could possibly have? I, I really think most of the time it really falls on the client where it's like they expect the attorney to know all the things, all the jobs, all the finance stuff, all the the emotion stuff, all the mortgage. They expect them to know too much. Their job is the law and how to follow it. So um, as far as like attorneys, sometimes like when I read divorce settlement agreements, um, like I'll proof them for attorneys before they finalize them. So that they're not grouping um, debt payoff in with the equity owed to the client, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 exiting spouse, mm -hmm. um, things like that, where um, they'll say, "Hey, um, you are going to pay three thousand dollars in spousal support and three thousand dollars in child support on you know the first of every month, right?" And then if I don't see $6,000 exactly into that account on the first of every month because some other outside agreement was made or they decide, oh, they're gonna do um, $3,000 and $3,000, but they're gonna take out this or they have to pay something with this, that's not $6,000. Mm -hmm. So it's very literal. And sometimes it gets mistaken and doesn't, um, it doesn't become quite as literal as, uh, and as serious as it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, I guess? It does, for sure. Okay. And, and those, I, are, those are the, a little, there's not a ton of like big mistakes. I mean, I've seen one where somebody gave 33 months of child support and I'm like, that will get you nowhere in the mortgage world. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't even you'll never get income with it. <laughs> like, um, so that there's stuff like that because we have stability and consistency guidelines that we need to follow. Wow. So, mm -hmm. so See, yeah. It's like a whole different world. So normal yes. mortgage brokers, and they call them normal, meaning not divorce specialists, they're not right. any worse off. They just don't know the way that, that they almost, I, I call it, sounds like creative. Yeah ways to to get things done that 
again, go back to the normal, you know, normal, nurse, mm-hmm. normal mortgage broker is going to be yeah. like, you know, that's interesting, but they don't practice it. They don't know all of these, these little nuances that you're talking about. Yeah. The CDLP is, is a practice. Mm-hmm. It's a practice. So we are coached and developed and trained and we receive so much on the guidelines and and when they change and all of this stuff. And then they, the CDLP brand from the Divorce Lending Association, which is where I have mine, um, they will help us um, approach our underwriter with the correct outcome based on what the facts are, because it's up to underwriter discretion. Well, we have to convince the underwriter. Um, and so the, the Divorce Lending Association does help us with that so that it will help us structure. So I, I, I couldn't have more support as far as that goes in my profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I know that, um, that qualifying income and divorce income are different. Yes. That's what I guess the lawyer would be like, qualified, you qualify, but the divorce income and how, what does that all mean to people? Because this is new lingo for people watching this divorce, you know, income. What's that? Is that my, my child support, my, my alimony? What? Yeah. And, and, and I understand that as well. And, and, and I get that from financial advisors too, you know, especially if it's um, self-employment income or rental income, things like that. So qualified income, let me give you an example. Somebody's been on their job one year, W-2 position, I'll just make it easy. Um, They make a salary um, plus commission. (laughs) Their qualified income is their base salary. Because it's guaranteed, yeah not their commission. They haven't been there two years. Once they've been there two years, I can average their commission over two years. Oh, interesting. So there's, it's a big, there's a huge difference between what somebody brings home and what is actually qualified income. And I think that's the discrepancy that gets miscommunicated the most but I bring home this much money. I know you do. And I realized that. And I didn't say that mortgages were common sense or made sense. I'm just letting you know, (laughs) like, this is what we can use as qualified income. Yeah. And it's a big deal. It can be a big difference. So, and in the divorce world, support income lump sum income because of the stability and consistency guidelines, you know, you have to receive it for a certain amount of time. It has to go on for a certain amount of time. There's, there's all these things. And the attorney has to know that and has to work within that. The client does, you name it. You, you've got, you have to be able to work within that in order for you to execute. Wow. See, there's so many details. Like you keep saying, it's, it's on a, a per basis, in, you know, level here, but income and debt, um, because you're coming out of a marriage and you might have a legal bill or you might have half of the, the family's debt on your plate. How does that play into the role of, of getting a mortgage if you're also grabbing up a couple, you know, bunch of debt? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, we have to count certain debts as liabilities. You can't exactly split debt. You can on the marital balance sheet, but then what do you do when it shows up on your credit report as the full amount, you know, and, oh, but she agreed to pay half. Well, did she agree to pay half forever or can she just pay you the half so that you can, you know, use it, you know, use it and, and we can remove some of that thing, you know, things like that. So it's, um, those liabilities add up fast and can kick you out of qualification fast. So that splitting the debt is a big deal that we go over that in the divorce mortgage planning report. I, I, I look at all the debt and how are you going to, you know, who's responsible for this? And, oh, we're going to split that. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do that. And I'm like, when? <laughs> so when? Because we, you know, we might not be executing this agreement right now. Um, but there's several things, you know, that I'm telling them that they have to do um, prior to refinancing or purchasing a home because they have to clean up some loose ends. So, so you got to make it look good on paper, right? Mm -hmm. Clean up those loose ends, right? So mm -hmm. you're saying in one word that this is why we want to get them in early. We want to get them. We look at all this stuff because you could be defining, hey, you know what? We're talking about the split on this Chase Bank. What if and how could we get that off your table? So after they've been working with you, do we wait till those orders are final before the mortgage comes in? Because now we know on paper, this is they're taking half of that bank and you're doing this and or is it all before the closing? How does it work? And then I know it's liquid. It could be any way for every person, but in general, do they have to wait till all of it's cleaned up and, and finalized? Not necessarily. Um, you know, if, if they make arrangements prior to, if they don't need um, support or they have temporary orders for support, that makes a difference. Okay. Um, Every scenario is so different there. Um, you just, I've done it before, I've done it during, and I've done it after. And it really just depends upon um, the client, what they qualify for, um, what they need from the settlement agreement to qualify, mm -hmm. if they do, things like that. So some of them want to wait. Not everybody does. Mm -hmm. um, they might purchase or refinance the house and then they retitle it when they're no longer married. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, the spouse can sign off on the waiver and just say, okay, I have no rights to this. So if, if you've got people that agree, right, you're good to go. Like you can do a lot. You don't have to wait. Yeah. So well, you get the magic words if they agree we're on a narcissist abuse channel and they yeah. agree, right? It's always a battle, but yep. if you do, knowing you're going to have a battle, knowing yeah. 
someone has given you the right advice, hey, they might do this, here's what we do, here's how we counter that, I would imagine it's also part of your strategy, knowing that you're not going to get that final okay and have it be all fluffy and roses. It's going to yeah. be more war and, you know, and, and arguments. Typically in those situations, yes, um, you you are going to wait until the executed agreement, the allotted time frame for the you know stability tests for the support um we're even gonna maybe talk about lump sum support instead of monthly support if we think there's going to be an issue you know and and just say hey you know i don't know you know it is it possible that we could do this with these assets and and create this and then you negotiate it like this, you'll have to ask your attorney. So so CDLPs do not give legal or tax advice ever. So um, I get a lot of questions about a lot of things. Somebody asked today, should I get a separation agreement first? I don't know. Here's the question I would ask. You know, so I I just, oh, that's a that's a good idea. I don't know the answer. That's that's a legal question. So Typically in those situations, if you if you've got people that are just fighting to the death, you know, you want to avoid the um you want to avoid all the barriers. And collecting monthly support, if you're needing it to execute the rest of the agreement, could be a barrier. Mm -hmm. So we have to address it. We have to look at it. Yeah. yeah. So I got one last thing on my list here, which is the equity buyouts um, and other related opportunities for marital property. I don't even know what that line means, but <laughs> you wrote it down, so I'm reading it. So tell us okay. what equity buyouts and other divorce related opportunities for marital property are. Explain that whole thing with us because I am not sure about it. Okay. So an equity buyout is not a loan program. Um, an equity buyout is something that you do typically in a refinance. So you, your house is worth 500,000, your loan is 300,000, there's technically $200,000 in equity available to you. Kinda. Um, depending upon if you have other second mortgages or things like that, um, or you don't, um, you're going to want to split that equity in some way, shape, or form. Most people want that equity, or they're going to negotiate their way around that. So what makes sense, that's part of my job too, and part of that report. Does it make sense to look at that $200,000, which isn't necessarily a full 200,000 in the mortgage space um, because you have closing costs. You can only buy, you know, lend up to 80% or 95, depending upon the situation, things like that. But, you know, does it make sense to take that equity out and have somebody also pay you monthly, you know, maintenance and get this lump sum and do this and that, you know, or can we kind of streamline some of this stuff and make it a little smoother 
um, for everybody and and more affordable for the spouses when it comes to separating. So it's it's an intricate um, design that the again the divorce mortgage planning report that you will only get from a CDLP, a licensed CDLP that um, is practicing their divorce mortgage planning because not all of us do. Um, it's going to define, okay, we've got equity to work with. Um, because we have equity to work with, you know, we can, this is what your loan amount is going to be. Oh, you can't afford that? You can't afford to pay out that equity? Where else can you give that money? Does it make more sense to increase your monthly support? Does it make more sense to give up more pension? What, what, what else can we do? How can we structure this for you? It's not always black and white. And everybody says, I want that equity. I want that equity. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. You know, when, once you kind of see how, how the numbers work out, it may not be the, the thing that you want to fight for. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are some of the things that, that we get a lot where people are just like, I want this and I want that. And then once you lay it out in, in the number space, there's a different reality tune that gets sung because it, it, it makes more sense when it's on paper. When the numbers are numbers are numbers, they don't lie. Right? They don't they, lie. They, you can afford this or you can't afford that with this, with that, we fancy this. It, you either can or you can't, right? They're um, reliable. They don't lie. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and narcissists can't necessarily change the numbers unless they're hiding money. That's a whole other story. But yeah. here's what a lot of people ask me is, you know, we have this great mortgage. We've been here for 15 oh. years, 10 years. Yeah. Can I just take over the mortgage? What happens with that? Because I've never seen it end well. But um, again, sort of like, again, you had a nice 3% loan back then and, and you want to keep that. How's that work in the real world? So this is the biggest question right now in this market. If if we were in a in a normal, probably four, 5% market, this wouldn't even come up. People would be like, all right, 3%, I'm, I got to go to four and a half. All right, you know. Um, but we went from three to eight. <laughs> you know, so it's like not okay. And, and I do understand it. I'm not insensitive to that. But there is a such thing as a loan assumption. The problem is, is that people think that this is going to be the easiest thing that's ever happened. No one makes money off a loan assumption. Not one person. I don't do them. The servicer does them. If you have a jumbo loan, you have two servicers. Neither one of them are probably going to want to do it. Your government loans do have a loan assumption clause, um, but that doesn't mean that they're going to give you your 3% rate. Right? Mm. They can change those terms. They don't have to keep them. And there's two different kinds of loan assumptions. One acts just like a quick claim deed. They might say, yeah, I'll give you a loan assumption. And it's the same as a quick claim deed. It's not a full assumption. Mm. And you don't know. You just wanted a loan assumption. And they're like, yep, get, here you go. And then you also have to understand that that person's not getting paid for this. So why would they stay on top of your loan? Why would they be in a rush to get it done? Why that paper is worth so much more now. They don't want to do that. 
So most of the ones I'm seeing are like seven months long. I have one person who successfully completed one. one. And one, I have one. And besides a VA, the VA loans are assumable. I had one person, well, it made sense. But it it's just the loan amount. So you, if if you're doing an assumption, there is no equity buyout in there. You better have other money because mm-hmm. you can't pay your spouse equity unless you have cash. Um, there, there's a million different things that go along with a loan assumption. They are not as easy as they seem. And you're, you're kind of being sold a bill of goods. Mm-hmm. And so you not saying that you should just rush right out and refinance call, but you're eligible for a loan assumption. Find out if, if they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do. I mean, it's worth a call, right? Never hurts to ask. Exactly. But don't be afraid to refinance into a larger if you qualify more, you know, higher interest rate because you could refinance out of it. Mm-hmm. Just like you refinanced into, you know, the, your 3%, Three. you could finance into a seven and a half and you can refinance back down into a 4%. Mm-hmm. So it's not the end of the world. So it, I hate to say it like that, but. And again, I'm not insensitive to it, but it, we can't avoid this forever because everybody says, but we're getting along, not in your case, but in my cases a lot, we're getting along. Well, you are right now. Mm -hmm. You know, what happens when he or she goes on vacation with girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, with the kids and all of a sudden it isn't okay. Mm-hmm. that turns on a dime it's okay until it's not right yeah and you have no plan in place because of it mm-hmm. because you you were getting a divorce when you were getting along and then all of a sudden you're not and now you you haven't done anything to protect yourself and mm-hmm. i have to be the bearer of bad news and go but but shouldn't we put something in place just in case you don't get along at some point I mean I hate to like throw that out there but like that does happen from time to time well (laughs) in your world all the time yeah how many times a day does it happen right so but I you know everybody says oh we're getting along right now okay well you know it can or is it or or are they pretending Mm -hmm. right and then you know how do I recognize I I would call you immediately and be like how do I recognize if if I'm missing an opportunity here to send them somewhere because I think this person needs help right right yeah so that's the scary thing on my end because I might be having somebody who's like being coerced right Mm -hmm. oh yeah of course from that perspective a whole new worm here. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So I, that's why it takes so many people on that legal team. You know, it, ta- it takes so many people um, because you just, you don't know. I have a, a, a forensic accountant that does like red flag analysis. Genius. It's like mm-hmm. flat rate red flags. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can bring her in at any time if there's suspicion. Wow. And it's affordable for a client to just have yeah. reassurance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This has been so helpful. Is there anything that you want to just like last thoughts? Like you should, don't forget this or yeah, anything you want to close with? I think the only thing that I can say is you have so many people at your disposal to add to your team. And like what I do, the CDLP thing, is complementary. That planning, that divorce mortgage planning, that report and summary that can be shared with your attorney, shared with your mediator, shared with your financial people, complementary. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that in a divorce? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Mm -hmm. Marriage is a protected class under, you know, ECOA, equal rights. Mm -hmm. So we cannot charge for that service. And we really hope that that client will, you know, understand all the pieces that we've put into place for them and then help them execute at the end. Mm -hmm. Because we, the only way we get paid is to continue that process and help them finish. Yeah. And, and we can work with both parties. It's actually easier to work with both parties because you're gathering one set of documents. You've already filed jointly. You've mm -hmm. already done all this stuff. I can just you know, I have a confidentiality agreement. I have my own license number. Mm -hmm. So I can work with both and make sure that everybody's healthy coming out of it, as healthy as they can be. So I think those are my big takeaways. Don't forget to add somebody to your team, especially if it isn't going to break the bank. Not even break the bank. It's not, we're not even closing for it. Mm -hmm. So and you're getting all of this you know, knowledge and, and assistance in executing your agreement. So, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Now, one last question. I know I said last question. Yeah. Okay. Last question is how do people find more information about you? We'll put your URL across the bottom, but how, how do they find you and find out, can you serve other people than in your state? Can you be international? I'm not, um, I'm not international. Nation. Yeah, I'm not international. I can serve all states except New York. Um, I'm not licensed in New York. <laughs> My company isn't licensed in New York, so I can't do that. But yes, I can serve all over the country. Um, I my the best way to reach me is probably the the URL. Um, all of my information is on there. My my phone number. My um, I use a cell phone. Text me if you need to. Um, email me, uh, introduce yourself. Um, I will sit and have a 30 minute consultation. I just want to find out what's going on. And then once I find out what's going on, then we can figure out how we're going to dig deeper or what we can do. Mm -hmm. So it's really very simple. I, I just take my time with it because it's easier yeah. just to figure out, okay, I'm your gal or I'm not your gal, you know, here's, here's who I think you should go to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just to make sure that everybody's getting the right level of service and um, and executability. Mm -hmm. This has been so helpful. Thank you so much, Emily. I am so honored to know you, to be in a group with you. We're having so much fun learning about yes. this. So thank you. And um, everybody, please reach out to her. She definitely knows her stuff. 
I, I've talked to to many financial people in the, the divorce world, but not in the mortgage divorce world. This is a, a new crossing the Rubicon for us because it's so important. We cannot ignore it. So thank you so much for being here. Tracy, you are awesome. I, I have really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. And um, I think what you're doing here is just amazing. Please, please, please keep it up. I, people need this so much. They just don't know where to go, what to do, how to find the people that they need. Mm -hmm. And it's such a challenging time. And it, all of a sudden they're going from, I don't know what I'm going to do to like, oh, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I know what my path looks like. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So mm -hmm. thank you for providing that. Thank you so much. Well, I hope that was helpful for you. It is a very, very hard road to navigate if you don't have the right people on your team, as Emily said. When you're divorcing a narcissist, unfortunately, you need more of a team than you would if you were getting along and having a normal divorce. Someone asked me, what's the percentage of people that, you know, have normal divorces? I'm like, I don't know. I never see them. I only see the high conflict narcissistic divorces. So that's my, my entire world is helping people that are going through this and knowing that we need people on our team like Emily that are going to guide you through making you feel more comfortable about knowing you can afford this house if you stay. What do we do? So I hope you enjoyed this. This is Tracy Malone. Visit my website, NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. If you haven't subscribed, please do. If you haven't left a comment or a little check happy like button, please do that as well. It helps my channel and helps reach more people. So until next time, thank you so much.